Well, hey there, and welcome to the Northeast Bible Church Podcast. My name is Drew, and I'm your host today as we unpack Jesus' teaching on divorce. And as we answer your questions related to what the scriptures say on marriage, divorce, and even remarriage. I'm joined today by my guest, Jonathan Darty. Uh, by day, Jonathan's the founder and president of Be Broken, a ministry to men, women, and families who are walking through sexual brokenness. But by night, he dons a cape and he springs into action as our fearless leader, the chairman of our board of elders at Northeast. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. That's quite an introduction, but I, I, I appreciate it. I think that's an apt description, here. right? Yeah, I mean, I, I see know. you jump in all the time. Hey, however you want to perceive me is fine by I, me. I, I think I've seen a cape at least once, so I don't know. Uh, so, hey, recently in a series on the book of Matthew, uh, we've been unpacking Jesus' words, and, and very recently, his words on divorce in Matthew chapter 19. If you missed that message, you can watch it online through the NBC app or on our website at nebc.ch. Uh, essentially, one of the biggest things that we unpacked in that message was the reality that biblically, God approaches divorce from the standpoint of concession, not permission. And we worked through that. So again, you can, you can listen to that message. Um, essentially in that, God calls us to a model of enduring faithfulness in our marriages. Again, we're, we're seeking to model his love for us. But nowhere in the scriptures does he encourage us to be the ones to walk away from our marriages. So in that regard, he never grants permission because permission implies approval or, or blessing of an act. However, the scriptures do acknowledge the reality that hey, some choose not to follow God's wisdom. And this is where Jesus acknowledges in Matthew 19, it was because of our hardness of hearts that God allowed. So there's that word allowed, meaning he conceded, hey, we're going to do what we're going to do sometimes. Um, some people will walk away. Some people will be unfaithful. Some people will seek to divorce. And so while God never encourages us to be the one to pull the trigger, he concedes if the other party does, and then Jesus walks us through, the scriptures walk us through, what do we do in those cases? Uh, so, of course, this raises a ton of questions. We answered many of those questions uh, on Sunday in that message, but we also asked you to submit your questions to us so that we could spend a little bit more time processing on them here in a companion podcast. So, again, uh, Jonathan, we've received a number of questions. I appreciate so much your willingness to be here with us to unpack these. Uh, you and your wife in your ministry deal with these, uh, many of these questions uh, all of the time, right? And so you're pretty familiar with some of this, this conversation around marriage and unfaithfulness and divorce. Absolutely. We're familiar with it, and we love to be able to speak in as we can from both personal experience, but also just um, trying to help people understand God's Word on the topic as well. Yeah. So uh, on that, let's dive right in. Um, these questions, uh, they don't represent every single question. Many questions that came in repeated the same theme, and so we've pulled those together and summarized the themes. These represent uh, the themes. If, if you didn't get a your question, your particular question asked, um, man, please feel free to reach out to us again. We'd love to dialogue with you on that. We believe we're hitting all the themes that were asked. Um, as they relate to this. But the first question that I, I want to hear you speak into, Jonathan, is one that we, we hinted at a little bit. We dabbled in uh, in that message. Um, but here's the question. Uh, should someone stay in an unhappy marriage when they know 
that there are many more compatible people out there. And so this question goes to the question of happiness. It goes to the question of compatibility in marriage. So how would you, how would you answer someone saying, hey, I know I'm not happy. I know the other person's not happy. I think someone else might even make them more happy. Yeah. Well, if I could say one thing before we dive right into trying to answer all these questions, just a, a one comment on, on wisdom. Because I think there are a lot of times that when we start pulling out situations in people's lives, when it comes to relationships and, and even these issues of marriage and divorce and all the things about God's design for our, our lives, it's easy for us to immediately try to go to some kind of formula expectation in terms yeah. of what does it look like to live in, in the way that God desires the reality is, is I believe that about 80 to 85% of all the decisions that we have to make in life do not fall within the easily black and white moral codes of Scripture. So therefore, I think it is more about us pursuing wisdom and understanding what is it that God calls us to be in terms of the type of person that makes decisions from a sense of the mind and heart of God. Yeah rather than just some kind of formula that says, okay, so here's the, here's the question. Should someone stay in an unhappy marriage? And, well, let me give you formula 476, you know, part B. And it doesn't really work like this. This is a wisdom question. I think there are things that we can point to that are foundational because one of the things that does grab me in this question is just that idea of unhappiness or happiness. That in itself is a very subjective term based on someone's personal standard of what happiness actually means. Yeah. And I think when we start to sift that through Scripture, we have to then realize our hearts are exposed for that subjectivity, and we have to ask, well, what is the foundation of God's view of what will ultimately bring us blessing and, and quote-unquote happiness? And I think what we, what we see is that from God's perspective in His Word, there is no such concept as happiness outside of of him outside of being in line with his will. And so bringing that back into kind of the wisdom piece, it's, it's having to say, well, what, what, how does this situation play out in terms of God's will, God's desires and God's word? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think of here is uh, when he, when they're talking about compatibility and they say, there are many more compatible people out there. Well, my first question that I would have to that back to this person is, but was there not a time in the history with the, your current spouse that you believed you were compatible? Yeah. Otherwise, why did you marry them? Yeah, right? obviously you felt there was compatibility there. Yeah. yeah, and so I feel like we have to get brutally honest with ourselves regarding happiness and compatibility, mm -hmm. and when we bring it to Scripture, we realize that ultimate happiness is found when we are deeply embedded in God's will yeah. and God's way. And then I believe the issue of compatibility is one that requires us then to adopt an attitude of faithfulness that says, did we expect that we would remain static in our own lives for the rest of and our lives change. when we got yeah. married, <laughs> that, that our bodies wouldn't change, our minds wouldn't change, our situations wouldn't change? Even our tastes change, yeah. right? So I think it's important to put all of that together and realize that I think the main thing here is being able to say, when it says, should someone stay? Hmm. And when I look at that, I'm thinking, I think there's going to be a theme that we're going to see throughout a lot of these questions of the hmm. idea of waiting, hmm. of patience, of trusting God, even when it's very difficult to 
have a sense of feeling the presence of God or feeling yeah. those um, subjective happiness, you know. Yeah, agreed. I, I love uh, Gary Thomas wrote a, an amazing book called Sacred Marriage. Uh, the opening section of Sacred Marriage, he talks about uh, the difference between happiness and holiness, right? That God, his ultimate goal is to make you holy. In holiness, we find what true happiness looks like. It's a joy and something greater than all the stuff here and now. Um, but even then in our marriages, our marriages weren't even necessarily designed to make us happy. They're designed to help us become holy. As we become holy, we become more happy, right? Mm-hmm. So marriage is a means to a greater end in that. I think there's a false assumption in this too, because I hear this question a lot. You know, we assume that we can be happy apart from our current spouse, but to be apart from them means that we're going to have to go against what God has called us to, right? So if you pull the trigger on divorce, and, and there's a false assumption then that I can do what God has said don't do and somehow and end be up happy. happy. Yeah. yeah, it didn't work in the Garden of Eden. It's not going to work now, thousands of years later. And so I think we have to be real careful about those assumptions. You won't find happiness by going against what God has called us to do. Uh, I'll, I'll read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, Paul's talking um, in that chapter about principles for marriage, living as we're called the unmarried and the widowed. And, and at one point, he says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. And, and it's this, this principle then like, hey, remain faithful in the state in which you find yourself. Find a way to remain faithful. God will actually help you find that way if you seek them. Um, if you're not seeking them, yeah, you're probably not happy. And just changing that person out is probably not the solution. And I would say one other thing about this question that can also maybe be a revelation about the heart behind the question is... Um, how could there be the assumption that there are many more compatible people out there if you're not looking at all the people out there? Mm. So there's part of it, too, that I think when we begin to feel unhappy in our current relationship, our eyes and our minds begin to wander towards others, yeah. which only invites then more trouble in our questions. It's the, it's the grass is greener syndrome, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. Someone else's marriage is always better. Someone else is always you know, a better person. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned on, in the message, again, referring you back to that, we did answer a little bit of this issue of happiness. And really, when we understand that we are a part of the problem in our own marriage, which is always hard to acknowledge, it's a hard truth to hear. But if we are a part of the problem and we're contributing to some of these issues, we going into another relationship means that, man, wherever we go, there we are, right? We're taking those things with us. In this then, man, let's talk about really difficult circumstances because a question that came up multiple times was, hey, does God want us to stay married when the husband is emotionally um, or even physically abusive? And we received uh, countless questions of this nature, which first and foremost breaks my heart. And if you're listening and you're in one of those marriages, then, man, know that both I grieve for you and with you but also know that your heavenly father grieves with you and for you. That's certainly not his design. That's certainly not his will that, that men or women would take advantage of the, the gift that he gave them in a spouse. Uh, but Jonathan, you've, you've seen this. Um, so would you kind of lead us into these deep waters here? Does God want us to stay married 
when there is abuse and when it's threatening us? I would say that it's important to understand the difference between simply the status of being married to a person and the uh, the absence or the separation that can be necessary for physical safety. Mm-hmm. So in other words, yeah. we don't want to equate the idea that because you're married, you must remain physically present in a an abusive situation. Right. So in other words, I think separation in times of being able to say, hey, I'm going to remove myself and my children if I've got kids from a situation that is uh, dangerous. Absolutely. I don't I don't believe there's any anywhere in scripture where you're going to find that sa- that God says um, repeatedly put yourself in danger on purpose in order to be victimized. Yeah, no, not at all. Not ever. And exactly. so and so I think we need to make that distinction. So the idea of separation doesn't mean that it automatically means divorce. Right. It means you may need to physically remove yourself from the situation. I think it's important for your own health emotionally and physically to be able to step into some uh, some helpful counseling environments a lot of times during that season because if you've if you've suffered the trauma yeah. of abuse then there's a lot that you personally are going to need to work through in order yes. to become healthy yes um, in your own perspective and then let the next step be what happens with this spouse mm-hmm. what kind of help are they getting is there a repentance in there is there a sorrow in them where they're recognizing their faults yeah. and they're willing to get help on that. And then I think with with counseling, there can be some good next steps towards possible reconciliation. But I do think it's important to make sure you put yourself into a safe environment and not necessarily make that about whether or not you are going to divorce. Agreed. Yeah, and I, I think, again, we addressed this in the in the message um, albeit briefly, but God would, I don't believe, ever ask us to put ourselves in that position where we're being abused and beaten. Um, but equally, that's not, that's not incompatible with his call for us to remain faithful, right? So the model for this, I believe, biblically, is this model of separation that we see where even God withdrew his, uh, his presence, his blessing from the people of, of Israel, he never broke his promise. He never ceased being faithful to them in terms of the, the greater promise and his greater faithfulness. But there were times when, because of their sin and their obstinance, he chose to step back, as it were. And, and I think then that becomes the model. In cases of abuse, yes, there is this time where we may need to separate and step back. It's a perfect time for us to receive counsel and healing um, for our children, if they're involved and have seen it, to receive counsel and healing. Um, but God would never call us in that to be the one that pulls that trigger, to use that phrase again, and, 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 and file for that divorce. Um, because we, if we are pursuing God, we become that, that lifeline. We become that model of faithfulness that may just turn their hearts. I would say this, too. It's important when we think about the where this message fell in 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 Matthew 19 and if we pull back right into the immediate context before that Mm -hmm. of of discipline you know confronting those who have are hurting you and and you go and show them their offense and then you take another and then you bring before the church so there's a process even in that of calling this spouse out for their abuse because that is sin yeah 
to hurt another person in that way is sinful. And so that I think we then have a responsibility as the church to address that in order to try to draw them yeah. into repentance and, and the help that they need. With community and with the church, exactly. And one of the things that grieves my heart so often in these cases is I, as a pastor, right, in, in, a, in a local church context, very rarely hear about the abuse until the divorce has been finalized. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not until then that they feel safe to tell the story. And, and I fully acknowledge um, that for those of you listening, you don't feel safe telling the story. Um, I know because I have a family member um, who, who has experienced this. Um, I, I know that many times you don't feel safe because if, if word of that gets out, right, there's, there's consequences. Um, but here's the thing, when, when God gives us that, that prescription, uh, it, it, there is a coming alongside of that we desire to do. Um, and, and we would just say to you, if, if we can help, if we can listen, and if we can be a part of um, helping work through that and, and that uh, confronting in love, right, for, this, for the sake of reconciliation, that would be our goal, and I believe God's. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question that came up countless times is, what about an affair? Does God want us to stay married when the other party is guilty of an affair, and specifically when they refuse to own that, um, they're denying it, they're unrepentant. What do we do when a person is unrepentant, but they've broken those marriage vows? And so we talked covenant uh, a little bit in that message on divorce. Um, and so if someone's broken that, that covenant, that one flesh covenant through an affair, um, does God want us to stay married when that, the other party's guilty? So there's a couple things I want to say on that. Um, first is, um, you know, we cannot control what another person will do, right? And kind of like what you're talking about. Wherever you go, there you are. You yep. know, the only person you're guaranteed to live with the rest of your life is yourself. Is so when I hear a question like this, we have to go back to kind of what you were preaching on on Sunday about the idea of permission versus concession, mm-hmm. When it says, does God want us to stay married when the other party... And I, I look at this because a lot of people, when they hey, they see an affair, adultery, they say, oh, except for sexual immorality. And they look at that as the, that's my get-out-of-jail-free card. And it doesn't, it's still not permission in the sense of like, now you're commanded to get a divorce if this happens. But here's the thing I want to say about what I believe God calls the the betrayed spouse the victim. to the victim is, again, faithfulness to God. I want to share with you real briefly just kind of some stories that we've had in our ministry because we've seen this countless times in our ministry where, and typically what we deal with is where a husband has betrayed a wife sexually. Mm. And just some of the amazing stories that we've seen over the years of wives that have said, you know what, I'm going to choose to be faithful to God and listen to Him and be true to His Word. And like you were talking about, Drew, um, these wives have said, I'm not the one to pull the trigger on divorce because I believe then that would be looking at it as permissive, like God right. is commanding me right. to do that when in fact, no, I don't believe that's right. true. Now, they would put themselves in safe situations. They'd put healthy boundaries, all those kind of things. And we've seen amazing stories on on all fronts, some that have led to restoration yeah. and reconcilia- reconciliation of the relationship, Others that have not, and yet these women have thrived even in mm-hmm. traveling through 
what it looks like for her husband finally to then file a divorce, and she's the other party filing the other, the divorce. other party yep, the files, party and she has yeah. traveled that road with integrity and faithfulness, and just the amount of blessings that I have seen yeah. on spouses that are willing to do that, even in yeah. a horrific, painful period yeah. of time. I would say this is more about your faithfulness to God than it is about you trying to press things forward to end the marriage or yeah. trying to quote unquote get out. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the one of the first things that we were taught in in seminaries were going through um, Old Testament first and then New Testament, but Old Testament theology, right? Is there's this theme. Um, it's a theme that we're as parents very accustomed to in our own homes, right? The theme is with obedience, there's blessing. With disobedience, there's consequence, or in the Old Testament, the curse, right? The curse being in the garden, there's disobedience to God, and now the curse of sin is in uh, is in play in our world, um, right? So, so to that point, this notion of it's possible to stay faithful, God's, God's not saying, yeah, here's the loophole, and now you can file for divorce just because they hurt you. No, it's you can remain faithful, and God chooses to bless those who remain faithful. It's his promise from, from the beginning of time. Now, it doesn't say it's easy. And, and we understand the, the tremendous agony of, of walking this road. If your spouse who has been unfaithful to you is both unfaithful and hardened of heart and doesn't want to repent and doesn't want to come back, and they choose to file for divorce, then that's their decision, right? That guilt is on them. Um. But as far as it's up to you, you're called as the Christian to to model God's faithfulness in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness. And I would say this, too, and I think it's important for especially for spouses out there that are feeling the weight of this kind of an offense where there's been an affair committed against them is faithfulness does not equate to closeness. Yes, Thank so you for saying that. The idea is is we can remain faithful to our spouse even when we need a season where there's actually separation, mm-hmm. where there's strong boundaries because yes. there's been a violation there. Yes. So I, I want people to understand that faithfulness is more about your commitment to God yes. than it is about trying to maintain some sort of arbitrary closeness with your spouse yes. who has violated your trust. Yes, and we get that backwards so often. And I think that's really kind of a, a sub-theme, right, in many of these questions. Um, we feel God is asking us just to kind of gloss over everything and stay in this and ignore that it happened. And, and I love that line. Faithfulness does not mean closeness. Right? We're certainly not condoning sin, and we certainly don't want to empower it all the more. Well, and just going back to even when you were talking about the history of God and his people, right? Mm-hmm. Faithfulness did not always equate nope. with closeness. Absolutely. There were seasons where God said, hey, I am, I'm going to remain faithful to you, mm-hmm. but this doesn't mean that we're, we're buddy-buddy right now right. and that we're going to be as close as we can possibly be right. intimately. I'll remain faithful over here. <laughs> Once you've figured out what you've done, and repent, know that I yeah. will take you back in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I'm just a step away. I mean, I think one of the great parallels maybe it's so hard to understand in a marriage when you're feeling all the feels in that, right? But, man, when you have a wayward child, this is the very thing that we say to our children, right? I'm going to ask you to move out. I- I'm not going to let you do this stuff under my roof. But the moment that you come back and you've hit rock bottom and you recognize your sin, know that, man, I'm going to be the first one 
to help you get back up. And, and that's, that's what God is calling his people to, no matter the relationship, no matter the covenant. Uh, with this, as the affair question came in and adultery unfaithfulness, we got some questions as well, just wanting better definition on that. So here's the question. What is considered adultery? So what about an emotional affair? We hear about those all the time. Um, Jesus, at one point in the Gospels, someone talked to me about this on uh, the Sunday that we preached the message. Jesus in, in the Gospels says that, hey, if you look at a woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Right, so what really constitutes adultery? Uh, and then based on that, do those things also lead you down this road where there's you know, somehow a permission or concession for that? Sure. So this is a common question we get a lot, especially from wives, right? Because mm. maybe their husband sure. has quote unquote just looked at porn or something like that. So he's Never doing just, that. but yep. So yeah. he's doing that lust of the eyes, right? right. And so many times in her mind, it's like, so does this give me into, get me into the escape clause, you know, the sexual immorality, whatever. I think it's important to put the, the whole adultery issue into the overall context of what does God consider adultery mm. in a much like 30,000 foot view. Yeah. When you think about the language that he uses throughout the old Testament, when he talks about the the waywardness and the rebellion of his people, he calls them an adulterous people. He yeah. uses this very, vivid yeah. sexual language, even to talk yeah. about something that is really actually about idolatry. Yeah. And so the way that I start to kind of put these things together is I think God's view of his adultery relates to idolatry because what it is, is it's saying you're having intimacy with another lover. Mm. And so God is looking at his people and saying, I am meant to be your only love. I'm yeah. meant to be your first love. I'm meant to be, there's no other gods before me, no other material, yeah. no other person that is to come before me. And so when our hearts wander in all those things, God says that's like adultery. Yeah. Now, the simplest definition for adultery, I think, when we get down to brass tacks, is is when basically there is um, there's sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Mm. I mean, that's the simple definition. Simple. Mm -hmm. But to put it into that context, I think, of God's view of adultery then we start to see why he values faithfulness in marriage yeah. so much, why he values that covenant and that you're not to be, you know, uh, as the Proverbs say, have your water spilled out in the streets. Like right. you're not to be taking right. that elsewhere. Right. Now, as far as how this relates to divorce and how this relates to that question, uh, I think, again, when we go back to wisdom and we recognize that this isn't so much about us trying to say, what are my options for getting out? Mm -hmm. As it is saying, what does it look like for me to be faithful to God no matter what I experience yeah. in my marriage? Yeah. And I think that's critical. And, and I think you've raised this a couple of times now, and I just want to highlight, if, if you're listening along with us still, right? This ultimately is about faithfulness to God. And we have to have that mind shift. Because sometimes it's so hard to think about, how do I be faithful to my husband? He doesn't deserve it. How do I be faithful to my wife, right, after all she's done? Don't think about it like that. The question is, how do I be faithful to God, and what is God calling us to? And in this regard, Ephesians 5, Paul says, hey, your marriage is designed to be a reflection of Christ and his love for the church. In that, if that's the standard, if that's covenant faithfulness, Christ, there is no sin in us he was unwilling to forgive. There is no sin at all that, that would separate us from the promise, from the covenant. So that becomes the standard. So 
doesn't really matter if emotional affair is just as bad or, or less than, right? Whatever. All of it is bad. All of our sin, however, in marriage is bad. And all of our sin is offensive to God. He's always been faithful. He calls us to have that covenant of always be faithful. And I'll just say on this, um, I'll, I'll share a, a story. Um, the names and identities have been changed to protect the not-so-innocent. Um, very, very, very good friend of mine uh, when I lived in Dallas. Um, wife walks into him one night, and he has been looking at porn on the computer. And so uh, she obviously is so, so, so deeply hurt, and it leads into months of hurt and betrayal and fighting. And um, in the midst of that, she starts having an emotional connection with someone at the gym where she works out. One thing leads to another. Uh, this single trainer um, just leans in on, on her vulnerability. She has an affair with him. She gets pregnant with him, moves out into an apartment and begins to live with him, um, leaving her husband and her children behind. So now we have a grieving husband who acknowledges, hey, I started this, I looked at porn, um, but man, this has gotten like to a crazy point. But acknowledging that, he refused, even though some would say, hey, now you have a case to divorce because your wife is pregnant with another man's baby and has l moved out. He refused to do that. So he repented of his sin. Um, he had done that even before she had the affair, by the way, but he repented of his sin. He continued to repent it. He continued to own it, and he continued to be faithful to her. They were separated but he continued to extend opportunities for reconciliation right up until um, as the pregnancy becomes known. Guess what? The personal trainer bails. She ends up delivering the baby on her own. And who shows up at the hospital? Her husband. The husband she's been separated from that she was mad at. And it begins profound healing. Um, this is, in my view, like the worst possible scenario we now have a, a baby from another guy, but God reconciled their marriage. Uh, it, this is one of the reasons why I think in 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul is addressing those who are married to an unbelieving spouse, he says, hey, if they're willing to live with you, if they're not looking to get out, stay with them. And he makes this statement, right, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. What does that mean? Does that mean they, they get salvation, you know, through the other party? No, it's they see the constant grace of God in you, and by seeing that constant grace of God, that becomes the thing that points them to the Father, where the Spirit then has a chance to work. This is one of the reasons why, even in these cases of, of affairs and, and hurt. It may call for a season of separation, but you bear the grace of God. That, that grace of God is the thing that can change hearts and minds. Why, why, why would you want to remove that? Don't remove that grace of God. You may need to separate, but allow God to use whatever presence there can be to do a work in their heart. That's, that's what God is calling us to, as hard as that is, and we acknowledge it's hard. What if you feel... God is telling you to walk away from your marriage? What if you feel like, hey, God, I feel God telling me that I, I need to walk away? Don't trust your feelings. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but I think here's, here's one thing that I would say. 
if you, if you're experiencing trouble in your marriage and anybody who is listening that is married, you're going to experience trouble in your marriage. Like there's just no way that two completely opposite people right down to their very chromosomes cannot have difficulties in what it means to navigate mm-hmm. life together. Mm-hmm. If, but if you get to the point where then those difficulties escalate and it becomes almost uh, to the point where it is, it is critical even to the continuation yeah, of the marriage. the marriage, you have to recognize that you are likely not in an emotionally, if I can put it this way and not be offensive, competent mindset. Mm. And what I mean by that is not, I'm not trying to place shame on anybody, but the idea is you mentioned earlier about how often, you know, you and the, and, and us in the, in the local church, we don't hear about the difficulties until it's already beyond crisis mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. And so what tends to happen is in that isolation of that couple trying to just navigate it on their own, put yeah. whatever mask they need to put on on Sunday morning, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. They're not having the, the or they're not inviting the blessing Wisdom. of the community yeah. of the body of Sound Christ and, and, and yeah. older, wiser um, believers in Christ to come alongside them and, and try yeah. to speak truth into their lives. So we have to be careful of then our emotions getting swept yeah. away to where then our emotions take us to place where we think we're hearing from God, and I don't believe that's the voice and of God. Not. Yeah, and the reality is our, our enemy is a master manipulator of emotion, doubt, fear, right? Um, in this, the, you know, what, what if you feel God telling you to walk away from your marriage? Here's the thing, uh, and, and Scripture tells us this, right? God is never going to ask you to do something contrary to what he's already said in his Scriptures. He's just not. And... And so in that regard, we've got to take those thoughts captive, surrender them back to the Lord, and and say, okay, God, I know you would not ask me to kill someone. I know you would not ask me to rob someone, right? And so this thought that that you're giving me this permission, it can't be from you because you would never ask me to to go contrary to your word. We've got to surrender that and surrender whatever feelings are behind that and how the enemy is working and then ask spirit, Lord, through your spirit, would you clarify, would you strengthen, um, and then, man, excellent point, get well, around I, people to hold I you I was going to say, yeah, I would just add to that. I think it's so important. There's a, there's a, there's a waiting element to this that you mm-hmm. just need to, to wait so that you're, in some ways, kind of your own heightened emotions can settle down, but there's so critical that community element yeah. that we need to get into community with people who who know the word and that we trust and who are who are really living yeah. that out well even in their own marriages yeah. so that we can then have some some mentors some partners that yeah. can say what does this look like to walk this out yeah the proverbs say there's wisdom in a many counselor right so uh, what if in this we've talked separation right uh, faithfulness doesn't always mean closeness um, but what if separation doesn't lead to reconciliation are we just trapped in no man's land forever there's two things I want to say on that. One is I still feel like if if you're separated, your call to be faithful to God is to remain faithful to God. And if there is going to be, um, you know, reconciliation or even eventually divorce, that is largely going to be dependent upon that other other person. But the other thing, and this is where sometimes I always have to duck when I say this because, you know, the, the, the left hook is coming to get yeah. me is that I think in our day and age, 
in especially in the Western culture, we have a weak understanding of the theology of suffering mm. and how it matures us, how it molds us, how it how it really takes us to a different degree of intimacy with God that we couldn't have had if we did yeah. not face suffering. What an absolutely uncomfortable word to bring into the conversation. It is, because suffering. there's already yeah. suffering, right? We but, instantly lost half of our listeners right. when you said that. But here's the thing. What I want to say about that, the hope that is in that, is what if the mindset could be changed two degrees? Or rather than us looking at the suffering in our marriage relationship as something that needs to be escaped, as something that if we learn to navigate it well through our faith in God, that there can be a richness of blessing in our own lives, regardless of how our spouse chooses to respond next. And again, in our ministry, I've been doing our ministry for 16 plus years, and just the countless stories that we've been able to see in people who have chosen to be faithful, even when Divorce did happen, and their spouse did leave, yeah. and yet realizing that the the stories that we've heard of these these spouses that have said, you know what, I would not know God as deeply today as I know Him had I not traveled that path of yeah. suffering. And you know, we're told in the scriptures that if if we want to share in Christ's blessings, we have to share in His sufferings. His sufferings as well. And again, when yeah, you pull that back into context of yeah. God and the adulterous people that we are to Him, and He suffered to the point of yeah. Jesus on the cross, there is a there's a blessing that comes on the other side of that suffering. Yeah, yeah and so, man, what if separation doesn't lead to reconciliation? That's not on you. If you've sought to, to bring that reconciliation about, it, it's not on you. Um, but I, I again go back to the model is God, right? The model's not us. The model's not how we feel. The model is God. The model's not somebody else's marriage. The model is God and His faithfulness to us. And and I reference in the message, um, you know, the the times when God had pulled away, the lack of closeness. There's the 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's just a blip on the radar of the other centuries and millennia, right, where God is waiting on his people to figure it out. But for 400 years, he's silent. And then when he brings his son in the living embodiment of grace and truth, still people don't listen and turn away. And, and that is the risk in this, right? It's the risk that we keep on waiting. But the question is, can we believe that God will remain faithful? So the final question, and we'll wrap up from here. What if I was the one to, and to use my phrase, uh, to pull the trigger? This was the question that came in. What if I was the one to pull the trigger and file for divorce? According to the scriptures, am I to never remarry again? Yeah, so this is a question we get a lot, and one that we see again play out in people's, people's lives. The first thing I would say, though, is in recognizing that that. I think there is a, a, a decent amount of understanding of the scriptures from this question, this person's question of recognizing, hey, Jesus said it very frankly, you know, um, if, if, if you divorce and uh, you cause your wife to commit adultery, if you divorce and remarry, you commit adultery, right? So he's, mm-hmm. he's like, wow, how do we get, how do you wiggle outside of that one, yeah. right? But here's the thing. I think recognizing that you made a mistake. What does the Bible teach us to do? Repent. Mm. So I think the first thing is is having an attitude of repentance and saying, 
I was in the wrong, God, to do that in a sense of confession. And I think from there, there's a need to wait. Again, we're seeing a theme throughout all of these. There's a need yep. to slow down, be patient. And I want to just share a real quick story from my own life uh, of some family friends of ours that I grew up with where he was, um, this guy was a, a member of our church. His his wife ended up leaving him to marry a doctor, uh, to, to have an affair with a doctor. She ends up, um, uh, let's see, she had this affair. He stayed single because he felt like that was what he needed to do yeah. according to scripture because yeah. she's the one that in the hopes of reconciliation or it, because she's back. the one that uh how was this anyway it was it was one where, where he was hoping for reconciliation yeah. but what ended up happening was he waited and when she got married to this other person mm-hmm. um he still waited but then there was a certain time in which he felt like the lord released him because she was now married to this other person. She's one there was flesh no hope of reconciliation with, with that exactly. other person. Yeah. So every situation is different, but I mm-hmm. think the need to repent, if you've been the one that's yeah. that's pulled the trigger, but then also the need to wait on the Lord. Yeah. We, we've got to be careful. So many times we, we have um, arbitrarily painted certain sins as... Greater than others. Yeah, or, like yeah. They're, they're unforgivable. Mm. And... Well, I would look at it this way. Does God say that in Christ he forgives adulterers? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So then, David, can we not seek forgiveness if we've been the one that has violated his law in this way? But I still think it's important to wait and be patient and listen to the Lord and then move as he he moves you. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if you've been the one to pull that trigger... And, and you're wondering, man, what does it say about me now, right? So you've, as we understand the scriptures, right, you you were made one flesh when you married. Um, that flesh has been separated, but but if that other person is still unmarried, right? It doesn't matter what the courts say. You made a covenant to God. So in God's eyes, you're one flesh. If that other person is still unmarried, there's still hope for reconciliation. If that other person has married, They've become one flesh with someone else. The hope of reconciliation is largely gone. It's destroyed. Deuteronomy talks about that, right? Like the first husband shouldn't take the, the, the wife back if she remarries and then her other husband dies or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Because she's been made one flesh with someone else. So if, you're, if your spouse has, has become one flesh, has gotten married with someone else, the hope of reconciliation is now gone. And that one flesh is now permanently forever broken. But I would put this very same thing into the context of the difference between permission and concession. Thank you. Because the thing is, it's very important. Just because now that other spouse is one flesh with somebody else doesn't mean that now God is commanding you to go get married. Mm -hmm. That's still something where you've got to listen to the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? What would you have me do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are the questions that came in. And Man, as always, we're happy to take those questions and dialogue here at Northeast over your questions. More than anything, to walk that out with you, not just a dialogue from afar, but to walk it out in community with you. So thank you so much for engaging with us. 
thank you for listening with us today. Uh, we will continue to wrestle with these hard things in the weeks and months ahead. And so please keep tuning in with us. But for now, uh, this is Drew uh, signing off, thanking you for joining us. And Jonathan, thank you for joining us here today as well. Yeah, it was my pleasure. We wish you God's best. And please, again, um, man, listen to God. Look to his example. This is about your faithfulness to him and his marriage with us. His faithfulness with us is the model. That's who we look to. Until next time, God bless.